Thank you so much, Leslie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Justin. <laughs> um, so we got a little speaker for, or a note for our speaker. So Jason, make sure you read this. So it's a little encouragement from our student body to you. Um, that's, that's sweet. Uh, well, we are continuing uh, in our uh, theme and topic this, this, this week of the practice of confession as one of the means by which we can cultivate intimacy with God and in others. And not only um, confession, the admission of what's wrong, but also um, the adherence and the agreement of what is true and coming into agreement with, with God. And uh, yesterday, um, we had Pastor Jason Meyer, who is the, the preaching and uh, pastor for preaching and vision uh, uh, at Bethlehem Baptist, uh, along with Nina Barnes, our VP for Student Life. Uh, I got a chance to interview them on a recent uh, trip that they went on called the Sankofa Journey. If you weren't here yesterday, I want to encourage you to check that out online on the Chapel Podcast, um, and as it'll really kind of help kind of set the stage, I think, for a little bit of what you'll also be hearing today. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Pastor Jason, um, and then we'll invite him up, and then uh, we're excited to hear from him um, uh, this morning. So uh, he's been the pastor of Preaching and Vision at Bethlehem Baptist since 2012. He was there in 2010 to teach. Uh, he's also spent time pastoring uh, down in Mississippi, um, has spent time teaching in Ethiopia and Cameroon. Uh, he and his wife, Cara, have been married since 1999 with uh, two daughters and, and two sons. Three of them are teenagers. Um, and so he has a, a very busy, very full, very joyful life. And we're really grateful that he's chosen to take two uh, mornings in a row now to be with us. So would you please give a warm Northwestern welcome to Pastor Jason Meyer. And uh, please join me in praying for him and for ourselves as well. Father, we are so thankful for the way that you love us, that it is not fractured, it is not compartmentalized, it's not pieces, but it's whole, it's true. It's, it's, it's the, you give us your, uh, yourself without reservation. And, and I pray that you would help us to reflect back to you the way that you're with us and the way that you love us. That to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, thank you for bringing Pastor Jason here for the second morning in a row. And we pray that you would fill him with your spirit, strengthen him. Uh, anoint him that as he communicates from your word to us, Lord, that our hearts would be good soil, postured to receive, that it would take root, that it would reproduce, um, that it would have, that it would bear fruit that would last. And so, Father, we are so grateful um, for your presence with us, and thank you that we get to encounter you together this morning, and we surrender to you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So every time I speak on racial issues, the number one objection I get is, if you focus on that, you're going to leave the gospel. The gospel will no longer be central. Why do we have to talk about racial issues? Let's just preach the gospel. So I'm trying in the 30 minutes I have to respond to that. I, I hear it's actually less because when the buzzer goes off at some time, you're going to get to leave and get full credit. So I'm going to try to move through this. So, I want to focus on a phrase in the introduction here called death by inches. The Denver Broncos recently 
fired their head coach, Vance Joseph, hired another coach, Vic Fangio, and he won the job even though they were more high-profile coaches because he had a great interview. And in that interview, he had a great phrase called death by inches. And he said, death by inches refers to a big loss that stems from little mistakes. It can start with something as simple as being 30 seconds late to a team meeting. Quote, that act in and of itself really has no impact on whether you're going to win or lose that week, but if you let it slide, the next day there's two or three guys late, or it went from 30 seconds to two minutes. It causes an avalanche of problems. That's death by inches. And the Mile High Report, focusing on that phrase and why it picked up so much on social media, said it's because those three words describe the Broncos' season so well. Whether it was coming up a few points short, missing a first down by half a foot, barely missing the uprights, having a penalty negate a great play, the Broncos seemed to own the turf when it came to making a mistake at the worst possible time. And I think those three words, death by inches, perfectly reflect the dynamic on display in the text I want to look at this morning in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. And what I'm answering here and testing biblically is the question, will addressing racial issues really take you away from the gospel? Let's test that biblically. The point here in Galatians 2, 11 to 16 is that confrontation is needed when our conduct is not in step with the gospel. Meaning there's two things. There's the content of the gospel and then there's conduct that's in step with the gospel and both of those things are necessary. So in Galatians, what we have is two things in this passage, two movements. We have confrontation and then we have an explanation for the confrontation. So I want to read verse 11, which is where we see this confrontation. Paul says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now just imagine this. Like, don't be boring when you come to the Bible. Use your imagination. This is the most epic moment in church history as two apostles, high profile as you can get. The two most high profile apostles in the early church are going to have an epic moment of confrontation. Not just because it's high profile, Peter and Paul, but because it's high stakes. One apostle says to another that Jesus said, you're, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. He says to him, he stood condemned. Condemned is jaw-dropping because we know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and Paul is saying to Peter at this moment, this wasn't just some minor racial microaggression, this was condemnation. So I had to address it. I had to get in Peter's grill because he was on the road to being condemned by God. Now why? Why did Paul see this as a moment of confrontation because of condemnation? 
he explains in verses 12 to 16. And I think maybe the best way to look at it is to see that Paul's answering five questions about Peter here. First, what did Peter do? If you look at verse 12, you'll see. Here's the explanation. You see the little word for. Why did you think he stood condemned? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. So what did he do that led to this moment of confrontation? Paul says, when certain people from James came, Peter withdrew himself from these Gentiles. His behavior changed. But why? Why did his behavior change? Look at the second part of verse 12. Fearing the circumcision party. In other words, did his convictions change in that moment? Did something happen that made him change his beliefs? There's a moment here where peer pressure from others gets Peter away from the gospel, from what he's preached, from what he's believed. Paul says they're the circumcision party. You can see this group in action in Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, what they were proclaiming is the necessity of circumcision to be saved. And Paul is looking at this in the early church saying it's either the necessity of circumcision or the sufficiency of the cross. You can't have both of them. So they're saying the cross is not enough for salvation. They're saying you have to obey the law and be circumcised. In other words, it's not enough to believe in Jesus to be saved. You need to add Jewishness. And Paul saw that and the early church saw that as a denial of the gospel, a denial of the sufficiency of the cross. Now, Paul, as he's talking about this in Acts 15, you see it led to a, a major discussion and debate. So, Acts 15, verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what they're doing is they're trying to add to faith in Christ obedience to the law. So this is adding Jewishness to the work of Jesus. Now, here's what's so confusing at this point. Peter's there in Acts 15. He's one of the spokespeople to say, how could we actually refuse these people the baptism of water when they had the baptism of the Spirit, when God himself brought them into the body and showed you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian? You don't have to have these aspects of the law in order to be saved. So what happened with Peter? This is why in verse 13, he calls this change of behavior 
hypocrisy. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy because it is a departure from what you really should believe about the gospel, what you say you believe about the gospel. In other words, hypocrisy, he says, is like a cancer that because you're so afraid of others, fear of man greater than fear of God and trust in the gospel, leads you to actually pull away from other believers because of peer pressure. And at that point, your stated beliefs are different now from your functional behavior, which is really your functional belief. What you're doing is in contradiction to what you say you're about, which makes it hypocrisy. And at this point, it begins to spread like cancer because verse 13 says, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, this is significant because Barnabas, you remember, was part of Paul's ministry, and there were two people involved in this, Barnabas, who was a Jew, and Titus, who was a Greek. And so they've been working together, fighting side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is earlier now in Galatians. If you ask, why is this hypocrisy so serious? That it could only be addressed by confrontation. The only way you're going to remove surgically this cancer of hypocrisy is to rebuke it. Why? Look at verse 14. Sorry, verse, yeah, beginning of verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that's his analysis of this issue. I had to confront Peter because he had stepped away from the gospel. I'm originally from South Dakota. When we go to visit our family there, there's a sign that says, now leaving Minnesota, and says, now entering South Dakota. And for Paul, he's looking at Peter, and this simple act of withdrawing from other believers out of fear from other believers, he's saying, there's a sign over that saying, now leaving the gospel. This is hypocrisy. This is not conduct that's in keeping with that. You're on a different path now. That phrase, in, the, in step with the truth of the gospel, is what stitches this whole chapter two together. Look at verse three of chapter two. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So here we were, Paul says, me, Paul, Barnabas and Titus together, false brothers come in and want to make us slaves of something that's not the gospel. 
slaves of the law, slaves of this false teaching. But we didn't allow it for a minute so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for the churches. And now this Barnabas, who's been fighting side by side with Titus, saying he doesn't need to be circumcised to be saved because Jesus paid it all, nothing does Titus owe. Now, even Barnabas is looking at Titus and saying, not enough, bro. Not enough to call you brother anymore. Because of peer pressure. Paul looks at all this and says, the gospel is going to be lost here. And so he has to confront Peter. Now, what did he say? What did Paul say to this hypocrisy? Look at verse 14. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Which is a hard sentence to follow, like your mother's cousin's babysitter's uncle. Like, what are you saying here? What he's saying to Peter is that you are a Jew and yet in the gospel you were able to stop living like a Jew in all of the ceremonial and food laws and everything. You started living like a Gentile because you believed that you didn't need your Jewishness to be saved. So you started living like a Gentile. But now, you want the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, you are a walking contradiction. In your own life, what you believe is that you don't need to be a Jew to be saved, which you started living like a Gentile. But now, when other people come with that belief, you want to now say that Gentiles have to live like Jews to be saved? You're a hypocrite. You're actually departing from the gospel by wanting to ignore this racial divide. Now, what is he saying here? This is where I think we're confronted by this passage. We're having to ask ourselves, not just are we good with our content of the gospel? Could we pass a gospel proficiency essay test. Not just that, content. Is our conduct in step with that? Is it on the same path? Or do, does the way that we live signal now leaving the gospel? Are we a walking contradiction? Are we hypocrites when it comes to this issue because we say, I don't want to talk about racial issues. People lose their mind and they get all upset and so I'm just going to withdraw myself from it. This says if you do that, you're actually leaving the gospel behind. You're actually moving away from it. Not dealing with this is causing you to leave the gospel. That's the issue. Now here's what he says, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet 
we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's looking at Peter eye to eye and saying, we're both Jews. We weren't raised to be part of what people call Gentile sinners. They're impure. They don't have the law like us. We know, we have come to believe the gospel that says in God's sight, we are accepted only because of what Christ has done, not because of what we do. That would be justified by works of the law. We're over here saying you're accepted by God because of what Christ has done. That's what we believe. And now I see you going over here to say, actually, I'm accepted because I'm a Jew. Titus is not because he's a Gentile. That is departing from the gospel. So we have to ask, do our stated beliefs about what the gospel says and how we're accepted by God and therefore accept one another in the body of Christ, do our stated beliefs match our functional beliefs as seen in our behavior? That is, is there anything that you are adding to the gospel that says, I cannot be in fellowship with you. I can't call you brother or sister unless you do this, unless you say this, unless you are part of this. I just hope you can see at this point how weighty this is, especially in an election season like our own, when, when we ask this question, what do you have to believe in order to be my sister or my brother? Our answer cannot be, uh, you gotta believe in Jesus and be a Republican. You gotta believe in Jesus and be a Democrat. You've got to be a Christian believing in Jesus and this and that. What we say as Christians is that our allegiance is not to a political party. We're not of the, the elephant or of the donkey, but of the lamb. That is our unity. And therefore, if you try to add anything else to that, you end up being a hypocrite. You end up showing that you don't really believe the gospel. You think something else is needed. You need to add something else in order to be in the family, in order for me to accept you, to love you, to call you brother or sister. Now, death by inches, I think, is actually very appropriate here because it can work both ways. Doctrinal drift is a real thing. There can be people that get so excited about ethnic diversity that they make that central. That is, in those instances, it has replaced the gospel. And that is deadly because you can't make 
a God out of ethnic diversity make it central because guess what? There's ethnic diversity in heaven and there's also ethnic diversity in hell. And the only reason there's ethnic diversity in heaven is because every tribe and tongue and language and nation are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. There's a centrality of the gospel. Those who have received Jesus, there's ethnic diversity there because of the gospel. And there's ethnic diversity in hell because they've rejected the gospel, which means the gospel has to be central. So you can't displace the gospel with ethnic diversity, no, no, no. But neither can you say, I'm gonna add to the gospel. And if you don't believe the way that I believe about this or that issue, or this or that cultural movement, or this or that political candidate, I can no longer call you brother. You have at that moment denied the gospel. Now, what I'm not saying is that ethnic harmony is the gospel. It's not. But when I say that, that it's not, in other words, part of the content of the gospel that saves you, I don't mean that therefore it's not an application of the gospel and therefore not very important. I want you to try to imagine in your mind right now the sun without flames, a rose without petals, a beach without an ocean. That's what it would be like to have the gospel without ethnic harmony in Christ. We don't need secular systems of thought to add to the gospel, to the radical things it says about being brothers and sisters in Christ. It says that in Christ there is no longer barbarian or Scythian or slave or free or Jew or Gentile or male or female, all are one in Christ. Christ is all and in all, which means that no culture, no ethnicity, no gender can be enshrined in the church and say, this is the church. No, Christ and the gospel is what makes a Christian a Christian. So here's the way I want to say it. My wife and I have been married for 20 years. And in our marriage, it has been the best 20 years of my life. And I cannot talk about her without getting really choked up. So early on in our marriage, we started by having the only argument that married people are allowed to have. We would celebrate, you know, we were one of those couples that's like celebrate not only your one year anniversary, but like your one month anniversary or your like every second anniversary. And so after every month for a whole year, we would try to be the first to wake up, look at the other person, wake them up and say, happy one month anniversary. Like, dear, oh, I'm gonna get you next month. So then we would do it again. And after a while, it started turning into a game where I would say, I love you. And she would say, I love you more. Game on, right? Oh, I love you 10 times more. 
Oh yeah, I love you a hundred times more. Oh yeah, I love you infinity. Now what are you gonna do at that point? You can't say, I love you infinity times 10. That's not romantic, it's just bad math, right? You can't add anything to infinity. And in the same way, if you take the gospel and now wanna add something to it, Republican, Democrat, whatever social label you wanna add, that is not good theology. It is simply hypocrisy. That's what this text says. And so, as a people, if you're a believer, yes, I'm calling you not to replace the gospel with ethnic issues. Of course not. But also, don't shy away from racial issues thinking it's going to make you minimize the gospel. The only way that you enter into this with biblical faithfulness is not by minimizing the gospel, but by mining it, going deeper into it. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking now in this moment that you would help us, that you would help each student here, that as they have to think through all of these issues, all of these details, and all of this debate, God, I pray that in all of it, nothing else could displace or replace the gospel. That's not faithfulness. That's just bad theology. I pray that the gospel would be so central, that Christ would be so sufficient we would not think that we can add to the infinite worth of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Dismissed.